love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, you and I both celebrate Christmas, as far as I know, and I am feeling very much in the festive spirit here in Montana. We have a lot of fresh snow. I actually went and got a Christmas tree. I feel like I was a little late on it this year, um, but I put up a garland outside. I got like a special extension cord that could handle very cold temperatures. Cause in the past, I think I used an inappropriate extension cord. I've learned a lot about extension cords recently, but I'm curious, are you, are you planning for the holiday? Are you staying in Vermont? What are your plans? So great question, Haley. So I am celebrating the Christmas holiday at a, in Palm Springs. We're doing a destination Christmas with the Gadeski family. Yeah. So wait, is that even allowed Palm Springs? There's no snow there. I mean, I guess there is in the mountains around, but wow. Is this a new thing for the Gadeski family? We, we did destination Christmas. Like, I think we went to Barbados a couple of years when I was like 12, maybe ish. 10 or 12. You like the, your family likes to like tropical. Yeah. My sister and I wanted to bring it back because we're old enough that now, you know, Santa doesn't need to make the full trip to the house. Like, um, we prefer, he just kind of skips the house and goes to other houses and spends more time there. So, um, we picked Palm Springs and, you know, Santa will still probably find us in Palm Springs, but just in case, I will be out in the warm weather, swimming in an outdoor pool, enjoying some warmer temps um, as a little break from the cold Northeast. But um, so, yeah, it's it's new this year. We're like bringing it back. So we're hoping it's a success because it sounds really sounds quite although my the travel out there, like from the Northeast to Palm Springs is not super easy. So um, but I'm sure once I'm there, it's going to be worth worth it. But you get to like pack warm weather gear, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to go swim in the, the lake there. Cause I did watch, you know, I did watch the coverage of that race, Indian Wells last weekend and it looked a little chilly, but Paula Finley, man, held off a close, close race with Tamara Jewett. Um, Danny Lewis was in third there. I mean, incredible racing for end of the season, but it was, uh, I, it, the, I mean, everyone always talks about how cold that water is. So yeah, yeah stick to that. The- they have a very nice pool there though. I think, uh, not cold. (laughs) The last time I was there was when you and I raced Indian Wells and yeah, yeah, I swam in that outdoor pool. It was very nice. It's like giant. Um, I have in my calendar already, like when I need to sign in to make reservations, because they're still in a reservation system apparently, but good to look into. Um, but I, that's fascinating because they definitely were not on a reservation system when I was there in 2021. Oh yeah. They, they are when I went back. I, I, yeah, I <laughs> Maybe don't know by popular demand. Well, like <laughs> some of our pools here decided to keep it because people apparently that's a whole. I've had, I've had these brand, conversations but, yeah. with my athletes, but <laughs> well, this sounds very fun. Okay. What do you, what do you wear for a warm Christmas? Like, oh, are you, question. are you going to pack a Christmas sweater and hat or are you just no, gonna, are you like bikini? These. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So hopefully, uh, Millie or Ella will make us a reel out of this. So I got these 
these are more new year's themed but i'm gonna wear them for christmas because we don't really do anything for new year's so can you see these earrings? oh champagne earrings yeah they oh, say nice. cheers they have like a little snowflake on them oh, it's a little hard to do like, your background blurred yeah. so they're blurring the earrings that? oh there they there's like a good shot of it right they okay. were j crew my j crew fine so anyway i'm planning on just wearing probably like mostly black because that's what i wear when i have to dress up because it's like looks dressy <laughs> So wait, so your family does like a very, you guys sure. all dress up just to, uh, we'll to go to, we'll go to a Christmas Eve dinner. So that's like usually our tradition and then we'll cook on Christmas. So we got an Airbnb in Palm Springs. So we'll be able to cook and then we'll go out to a Christmas Eve dinner. Nothing like super fancy, but nice. Like, you know, I'm not going to be able to wear my normal sweatpants and smash hoodie that I would like to wear, but my sister gets me out of that like once a year. So, um, so yeah, that's our plans. I'm excited to get a little, little more vitamin D on me. Um, what about you? Or what's your holiday plans? What's your schedule? Oh, white Christmas. Uh, cowboy. That's the worst. Yeah, to leave of course. I yeah. mean, like I said, that's why I got myself a little tree. And I, I did... So a couple of years ago, I had a neighbor who just did an incredible job decorating and it really inspired me. And I get a little bit lazy sometimes and I'm like, oh, it's just too much work. And then yesterday we had actually a pretty warm day. It was like 40 degrees was the high Fahrenheit, which was pretty warm. And so I was like, I got myself out there. I zip tied the garland up. I plugged everything in and it just, it it's worth it. It is worth it. The, the festivities are worth it. So, um, yeah, staying around here, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be nice. And I'm like sort of off seasoning. I have done a few like exercise focused workouts recently. And, oh man, actually I feel like weirdly fit for like a very short period of time. And then I'm like, like, okay, I'm tired, like <laughs> much quicker than normal. So I think that's, I'm exactly where I need to be right now. And it's funny you say that about the extension cord for low temps, because so we don't have an outdoor electrical outlet, but we did, I was just doing basic lights around the like deck railing or whatever. And I had to get these battery powered lights and then it got really cold now, finally. And I'm not sure that they're really, I think the temperature drops below a certain point and they stop working. Oh, no. And so I don't know, but then they were working today in the afternoon. So I don't know if it's just below a certain threshold or what, but I tried, I'm not yeah. going to hard to fix that issue this year. Anyway, well, as we talk about fixing issues and gear and extension cords, we, I actually got a mailbag question over Ooh. Instagram that I thought, you know, it kind of goes along with like gear, um, possible Christmas gifts for, um, for triathletes in our lives, um, or holiday gifts or any time gifts. I mean, maybe someone has a birthday around now. Um, Anyway, but Katie wrote in and asked for our opinion on weighted boards and buoys. Uh, I think she's, she's referring to Fike Swim, I think makes a, a kickboard called the brick and a like pull boy called the mortar. And we we're just looking it up and this pull boy, it's three pounds. Alyssa, have you ever, have you used either of these, of these products? No, I have not. I actually hadn't even heard of them until you sent them my way. And then I was investigating a little bit and it sounds very interesting. The most I, you know, it's scary to think about swimming with a brick. Sometimes Hillary has me do band only with a towel tied to the band. So that feels like a brick around your ankles. Kind of. I like to, it feels like, like a toddler hugging your ankles and like weighing you down in the pool, but that would be a very different feeling than a pull buoy that's heavy. So 
It would be interesting to try, but have you tried either of these devices? I have not. I have not tried either of these. Um, I have on occasion swam with a parachute, mm -hmm. um, which again, that's probably more aligned with the towel, I guess, like further down by your ankles or past your ankles. And I think that that can be a good tool. Um, but I, I haven't used either of these and my thoughts. So when I swim with a parachute, I think the thought is, um, strength, you know, is strength focused. Even a band I think is like strength focused swimming. And I usually, I don't think I ever do more than like a 25. I will usually go hard with a parachute. Um, if I'm using a parachute, I'll go hard. And so I, but it is like short, short efforts. And so I can see where like having different toys is kind of fun for, and, and I, I tell my, most of my athletes, like if it gets you excited to go swim, then it's probably great. You know, like if it gets you excited, that's sometimes the biggest hurdle is like getting yourself to the pool, getting excited to go swim. And so sometimes having a different toy to work on, I just think anything that adds resistance like these or adds weight, uh, you just have to be careful. You just have to be careful. So you're probably doing very short efforts. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head because like, even with the band, as I start building up swim yardage and stuff like that, like I too am doing 25 yards at a time. Right. And then slowly with the band, you can kind of build to a little bit more, but, um, you know, yeah, you, you don't want to do too much. And I just imagine with something that's weighted, like the parachute feeling or the rag or whatever that you have on the band, anything, um, yeah, short intervals would be key. So having a coach or someone writing your swim set who knows about that would be a very helpful yes. piece of the whole equation. Um, and I would say that, you know, if you're looking at that as like a hack versus like a fun way to be more excited to go to the pool in the winter, right? Like you can't really hack your way to faster swimming. And most of us um, have plenty of gains we could make with our standard paddles and pool buoy. So um, I don't think it's going to like make you a 58 minute swimmer when you're a 110 swimmer right now. But if it's going to make you get to the pool for 20,000 yards a week, then it's not going to hurt that effort. That's for sure. Yeah. I think telling, making sure you don't just like do a one for one swap. Like you said, don't just like do all of your cooking with a weighted kickboard, all of your pulling with a weighted pull boy. I feel like there's big Does risk of injury. Kickboard, just pull your arms down. I'm interested to like. I think that it must be harder. So it must be like, you know, it must be harder to kick forward, like to make forward progress oh. is what I'm guessing. Imagine if I think it still floats. And like, it was like a sandbox and I don't know, you can make all sorts of pool toys. I think I it does. I did see, um, one of the assistant coaches of Arizona state university was posting their day of paddles with like, a looked like a t-shirt wrapped around them. So it was like weighted oh, paddles whoa. and I, but he explicitly said that it's not for strength, that it was to, so you could feel imbalances in your stroke. Hmm. But I think you kind of hit that on the head like that. That is probably a very much more advanced. And while you're, we're looking for like that one, one hundredth of a second in the 50 free, and you are like really looking for any kind of 
tiny marginal gain that you can get where I think most triathletes are, you know, like you see, you can just get yourself to the pool is the bigger hurdle and getting yourself swimming. That's probably where you're going to get more of the gains. And it probably isn't going to get the 10 minutes of, of time that you might be looking for. So, um, it's cool though. I like the innovation. I like, uh, you know, seeing these things come up and maybe one of these days I will have to try one. Although, my stocking is not going to hold a three pound pull boy. I feel like that would pull it right <laughs> off the mantle. <laughs> you have to put that one under this tree, <laughs> but thank you for sending in the question and folks, you can fill up our mailbag over these next few weeks with all of your questions at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. All right, Alyssa, I think we're ready for, for our interview this week, right? Yes. So Haley, we have another, we have a, an, an interview with a guest. And we talk about another great idea for people's stockings or under the tree, the non-recipe book. So oh, oh, you actually I, have a physical copy. Oh yeah. It's blurred. Oh, I know now it's blurred. Take this screenshot, right? Here. I just, I don't know why I blur it as if you care if I have like my swimsuits hanging behind me. Um, so we have on today to talk to us, Amanda Pressgraves, author of the non-recipe book. And I met Amanda as a trail runner and a pro triathlete in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. And when I saw she was writing this book, I was super excited. In her words, it's half science, half soul, and connects the intersections and complexities surrounding how we eat, think, move, and live. So it's kind of like a choose your own adventure cookbook. Uh, and I think after listening to our chat with Amanda, you might be up for the challenge of reshaping how you see your time in the kitchen. So we're going to have more during our chat with her after a word from our sponsors. I have a fun surprise for all of us. After we recorded the show, Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen announced she was returning to triathlon. I reached out to Gwen to see if she would come on the show and talk about this announcement. And lucky for all of us, she said yes. Here is my conversation with Gwen Jorgensen. Hi, Gwen. Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm super excited to be talking to you and I'm super excited about your most recent announcement because a few weeks ago, uh, we had your mom, your sister, Nancy and Liz on the show to talk about their, the new book that all three of you co-authored. And I had considered kind of cheekily, uh, asking them if you'd ever come back to triathlon, but I thought that might come across as disrespectful of your decision to pursue running. And, and yet here we are. So do you think if I had asked them if they would have, uh, given me a heads up on the big news? <laughs> I think, you know, my mom has been asked that question before and my mom has a really good answer. And it's just, um, that she never knows what I'm going to do and what I'm going to decide. And I think that just kind of sums me up in general. I'm a very, um, private person. I mean, I'm on social media and I share a lot about my life on that, but, um, you know, especially about like really big decisions. If I haven't made a final decision, I am pretty private. So, um, she, she knows me pretty well. Well, we're excited. That means that your return to triathlon is final. So yes. I'll take that as good news. And, and in that book, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete, you talk a lot about setting goals. And I think you even, uh, include a goal setting worksheet for any readers in the back of the yep. book. And you have been really public about setting goals. I think in 2012, you set that goal to win the gold medal in Rio in 2016, which you did. And in 2017, you announced you're going to go for the gold medal in the marathon, which hasn't happened yet. And most recently, you pivoted back to triathlon, saying that your next big goal is to win gold on that 
Team USA mixed relay in Paris 2024. So having been on both sides of goal setting, you know, you accomplished a really big goal, you fell a bit short on another, and I'm sure you've faced lots of public opinions about both of those. What keeps you so passionate about setting these big goals and being so public about it, given that you are such a private person? Yeah. Um, well, you're so positive about it all. Um, not everyone is, is so positive. You, know, you said I didn't quite make my goal in, in running and I, I didn't even come close. I mean, I didn't even go to the Olympic trials of the marathon. So I really missed the mark on that. And, and for me, I, I like to set goals and set them out there into the world. They hold myself accountable and they hold my team accountable. And I think it really forces us to, to bring our A game every day. And yeah, I mean, you know, the, the world especially now on the social media side can be really harsh. And I'm someone who I will never go on uh, like forums. I will never um, like read that sort of thing. And I still hear a lot of negative comments just on social media. But for me, I think I've really, I'm really confident in who I am. And I know that what some random person says that I've never met that means nothing. And I think that's, that's something that I've learned that's really allowed me to just have a fulfilled life. And I think it's something that a lot of, especially younger athletes these, these days have to deal with. And I think it's really important to, to not get caught up in what other people are saying, but to look at what you're doing and the process and the intent you have and, and to hold yourself accountable to, to those things. So young readers of your book, you're encouraging them to, to set those goals. And you're kind of an example that if things don't pan out, it's okay because you can, there's always another goal, right? Yes. And goals always have to be fluid. They have to change. And I think it's really great to set this one big goal. And that's what I do. And that's kind of like what I make public, right? But I, I never really say all the little goals along the way. And you have these little check marks. And if things aren't going to plan, you can readjust. You have different goals. And, and that's what I think is really important to have that fluidity, but to also have that belief in yourself. I think a lot of times when you have belief in yourself, it's, um, you know, just saw an interview by um, Jacob, a Norwegian runner, and he was talking about how like having belief in yourself shouldn't, shouldn't be seen as being arrogant. It's just like if you're going to be the best in the world and if you're going to be even your best self, you have to have belief in yourself. And that shouldn't be seen as this negative thing from the outside world. I think that's Jacob Ingebrigtsen. Is that exactly. I was I watched yes. him in the world champs? I mean, his yes. his belief in himself is definitely warranted. Um, but <laughs> as is anyone's, it was very entertaining. And you touched on your professional running career and I think it, it was a little unexpected for everyone because you had initially targeted the marathon and then you had success at shorter races. I think you even finished ninth at the Olympic trials in the 5k. So yeah. you've announced you're most excited about the mixed team relay, you know, an event that is really short. I think it's like a 300 meter swim, 8k bike, 2k run, something like that. And yeah, around there. Yep. Yeah. Do you, so do you, given what happened in your running career, does that give you extra confidence going for this super short triathlon? Um, you know, to be honest, I'm not like overly confident. Um, I have belief that I can do it, but I know it's going to be super hard. Like I am on a time crunch. All these other women have had a year plus to gain points and I have zero points right now. So that's kind of the, the biggest battle for me. I'm going to have trouble just even getting on start lists, but you know, the shorter distance stuff, I think the reason I really like that is, yeah, I mean, one, the, 
that mixed team relay format, it has a longer run proportion to the swim and bike of a normal triathlon. And, and so that's really exciting. And, and as well, you know, that shorter run, I just, that sort of training, I've, I've realized I really enjoy that shorter, fast training. I know. I think I tried to like peer into some of the, the like pictures of your workouts that you, that were in the book. And there was like something where it's like, 400 Watts, like really, really intense bike workouts. So, um, yeah, listeners could probably get, or if anyone wants your book, definitely there's like a little insight into your training there. Everyone loves that stuff. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of media and I did listen to your conversation with pro try news and you mentioned going primarily self-supported and not seeking a little, lot of sponsorship as you start this team USA qualification process. And so it's my understanding that pro triathlon and pro running have very different sponsorship models. Is there anything that you learned on the sponsor side from running that you're going to take into triathlon in this second go round? That's a great question. You know, I actually think, you know, running is more limited in triathlon. You can have multiple sponsors on your suit. I feel like it's way more common for triathletes to have more than one sponsor. And in the running world, it's very common for a runner to just have one sponsor and, I really enjoy having more than one sponsor, especially because I love more than one product. And I think it's, it's just nice to be able to, to have that multitude of not only support, but, um, products that you love. So yeah, you know, I'm someone who I have an agent, um, they work on that, but for me, I'm, I'm really just focused on getting the best out of myself. I'm getting older and I, I know that time is limited and I don't want to waste any time or energy trying to think about sponsorships and things like that. So it's more just focused on, you know, what do I need to do mentally? What do I need to do physically? Um, and as well, spend time with my family. Yeah. And in that same interview, you mentioned that you'll be working with coach Jamie Turner again, and you said you hadn't spoken to him in the six years since the Rio games. And I know Jamie has had some difficulties in his own coaching career since Rio, but was that an initial like lack of communication just about you fully like removing yourself from triathlon world and fully committing to running? It's more just my personality. I've never really had, um, well, I did, I'm going to take this. I shouldn't say never in high school. I think I had a swim coach and I was very, uh, attached to what he thought of how I performed. And I think that really negative in, negatively impacted my life. I felt like I was always trying to prove myself. And, um, you know, I think a lot of younger athletes or just athletes in general try to perform to please others. And it's not, I don't think a healthy relationship. And, and for me in all of my coaches, I just like, I, I also haven't talked to Jerry since I left um, the Bowerman track club. I don't really have that personal, personal relationship where they're like my friend. And, and so I think it, it just more was out of that. Okay. No, that's very interesting. Just because I also swim in college and I like text my college coach all the time about like, Oh, I did, you know, I did this triathlon and all that. It's pretty funny, but, um, but I mean, it is, it's just different personalities and different coaching relationships. And it's obvious that you still had a great relationship with Jamie in that you are returning to his, his guidance, I guess is the word I'm looking for there. So it's not, it's not anything personal if, if you don't, uh, check in all the time, I guess. That's, that's very true. If you know me, that's a hundred percent correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't talked to my college coaches either. It's just, it is my personality and especially even, 
you know, if I talk to even my friends on the phone, the people that I do talk to, which I probably have like two, um, it's, it's very like, don't ask me how my day was. Don't ask me the weather. Like, let's just get into it. I'm not a big, like small talk person either. So yeah, it's just an interesting personality I have, I guess. Oh, but we like it. And we're so glad we get to, we're, we're honored <laughs> that we actually get to talk to you here, but I think some of our listeners might be feeling a little burnt out. It's been a long season. We're kind of into winter now and your story of retiring and then coming back and finding new goals and new motivation in the sport could be really uplifting and interesting to them right now. So do you have any advice to someone who might be questioning their motivation in triathlon right now and what they might do about that? I would say, don't be afraid to take a break and a break can look so different. It can be a one week where you don't do anything. You don't work on your mental game. You don't swim, bike, run. You just get away. You go on a vacation. Maybe you're just spending times in the holidays, absorbing the holidays and, and not thinking about training or anything like that. Or it could be a year long break, whatever it is, it, it's, it can be different for you. And I think, especially in my triathlon days previously, when, um, you know, back in 2013, 14, 15, 16, every year in the middle of the season, uh, Jamie encouraged me and I did this. I took a one week or two week break. Usually it was one week where Patrick and I, we just traveled somewhere. We were in Europe. So we just go somewhere else in Europe. Wouldn't think about triathlon, wouldn't talk about triathlon and just took a, a mini break. I stopped journaling, like everything just shut off during that break. And, and that really allowed me to, um, I think it brought me back into wanting to do it because I missed it. And so you were, as you mentioned, part of the Bowerman Track Club with Steeplechaser, Steeplechaser, Colleen Quigley. And in her newsletter this past year, she mentioned that she had attended a USAT camp. Do you think you're at all responsible for her interest in triathlon? I do not. I wish I could take credit for that. She is an epic cross trainer. And now we can call her well soon. Um, I know she's going for steeplechase in 20 in Paris, but after that, she wants to switch over to triathlon, but she is a beast on the bike. She cross trains and cross trains hard. Um, you know, you mentioned like 400 Watts or something. I don't even know what, when I did that in, in my training, but she could probably out number me on the bike. So she is, um, yeah, she's, it's, it, I think it's an exciting thing for her. Um, and I'm excited to see what she does. Yeah. I'll still say you probably had an influence, but, <laughs> um, and speaking of media and I think, you know, and you, your social, uh, media presence, you were one of the first pro athletes to really kind of embrace YouTube. And so I'm curious if you're going to chronicle this journey either on YouTube or maybe like a documentary or anything like that. Do you have any plans? Yeah. Um, you know, Patrick, my husband is actually the one who, uh, really encouraged me to do YouTube. And at the start, it was hard for me because I am so, uh, I just remember like, I'm like, Oh, I don't want like a camera in the face. I don't want all this stuff. And I think he did it in a great way. And that Talbot Cox was my first videographer and he was great. Just fly in the wall. Didn't bother me kind of knew like, you know, what he could ask, what he couldn't ask and got me really comfortable. And, and for me, I think, you know, the YouTube thing is it's a way for people to actually connect and see more of who I actually am. I think you just get, you know, snippets on Instagram and, and Twitter, but uh, YouTube is much more personal. And so that is something we're going to continue to do. And, um, you know, I'm happy now that I'm, I'm more comfortable with cameras around. Well, we'll definitely be watching. And one last question before I let you go. 
in 2024 at Paris, if you make the team, your children, I think will be around seven and just under two years old in Paris. What would it mean to you to have them cheering you on this time? Yeah, it would mean a ton. I mean, you know, I'm, it's a, that's an interesting question as well, because, you know, my son, even at seven, like, I don't think he would grasp exactly what the Olympics means. Um, but, you know, I think for him, I, I really like that he can see his mom, follow his dream, follow her dreams. Um, and as well, you know, I'm, it's not going to be an easy road. And I think that's really important for him to learn that what we do, even if we love it, it's not easy. And there are going to be many times when we have to overcome things and probably don't want to do them as well. So that's more what I'm excited about on this journey. Well, Gwen, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. We're so excited to have you back in the sport, even us in the long course, more the long course realm. I think this is going to be so fun to watch your journey. And I'm, I'm thankful that you'll share it publicly and, and watch us or let us all kind of join in on, on your next big adventure. So best of luck. We'll be cheering. Thank you. I just have one final thing. Yeah. What's that? Do you want to fly out to Boulder and be my swimming partner? Cause I really I, need I, somebody okay, as good I, as you. Honestly, yes, I totally will. I probably would. <laughs> I figured you had no idea who, that I like even knew how to swim because I was like um random person asking for an interview. But yeah, let's chat. <laughs> I would love to. I swam a little bit with Sarah True before uh 2016 and I was like injured and she I was living in Atlanta and she was in Athens at the time and we had a we had a good time. We had a yeah. really good time. I mean, it definitely like I can, I feel like I could handle that pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Oh, that wouldn't be pressure. I mean, you just have to do what you always do in the pool and it would be pushing me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Actually. Uh, yeah, let's chat. Let's chat. I'll give you my number, but thank you so much. Gwen. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Admittedly, Gwen caught me off guard with that final question. So we'll all have to stay tuned to, uh, see how this all plays out, but thank you to Gwen for coming on the show for a quick chat. And now we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Amanda, hi, welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So we have a range of topics to talk to you about today, and I feel like we could already be scheduling a second podcast for you on some of these, <laughs> but we're just going to dive in and see how things go for this one, at least. Okay. And so to begin, you know, I know you a little bit, but our listeners might not. So let's chat a little bit about your background in sport, seeing as it is the mm -hmm. Iron Women podcast, mm -hmm. right? So you grew up as a competitive swimmer, I believe. So mm -hmm. what was your relationship with sport like as a kid and as a young adult was, you know, like yeah. growing up, was that something you always wanted to pursue or, or how did that go? Yeah. For you? Well, I love this question to open up. Cause it's like, let's dive right into it. I grew up swimming from the age of four up through college and still swimming now as a professional triathlete. My relationship with swimming growing up was very much of Amanda, the swimmer, my, like my entire identity revolved around swimming. I like, I, I probably thought I was going to the Olympics at some point, but also is this more? So it's like all I knew about myself. Like I only knew myself through my experiences in the water, in the pool with my team competing. And, um, it, it very much consumed my, like my whole life growing up. I went on to swim in college. I swam at James Madison university. I, I was a breaststroker. So I swam my all four years through college. And, um, I mean, my relationship with swimming ebbed and flowed, ebbed and flowed because I, I was really good as a little kid. 
like many of us that start sports, I was like, I thrived at eight years old. Like I was, I was peaking then. And I went through a long period in my teenage years where I plateaued, where I struggled with, um, is this something I really want to be doing? I'm burnt out. Like I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm constantly injured. I felt like I spent more time doing physical therapy than I spent swimming for a lot of my youth experience at doing swimming. And then through college, I actually had double hip surgery and I tore both my labrums in my hip. And it was in that experience that it first challenged. And I like went up against my identity and being like, what else am I beside a swimmer and beside an athlete? And, um, I learned a lot through that. And I'm so fortunate that I recovered from that injury, but it was really what brought me into a lot of the other parts of my identity now, like around my work, around food, around entrepreneurship was really, really realizing I am so much more beside an athlete, but it took like coming up against the end of my career to have to realize what else I am outside of sport. And it sounds like that transition happened around five years ago. I have yeah. our timeline is right. That's, Can yeah, you tell so. us more about that, about transitioning from your competitive swimmer identity into even athletically professional triathlete, especially mm-hmm. Xterra? Yeah. So after college, so I got my surgeries my junior year. And so I graduated my, you know, my senior year of college, I registered in my junior year, but I never ended up getting to use that year. And I actually went on to business school afterward. I studied exercise science undergrad. And when I was injured, I ended up starting a locally. So like student run food truck on Jamie's campus. And I realized, damn, like building businesses is really fun. I had always used sport as my way of creative expression and understanding myself, but I realized there are so many ways to do that. And so I wanted to go to business school, like just like see what else is out there. And after developing a much healthier relationship to sport after my injury sports took on this very playful role in my life where I was, I always felt grateful just to be able to do it. And I knew I wanted to keep doing it after school. And so that's when I got into triathlons a little bit more before even going off to college, I had dabbled. Like I had done some like neighborhood tri races, like sprints, like just for fun. I didn't even own a bicycle. Like I was just borrowing my dad's mountain bike for these. Like I would lead off the swim. I'd get absolute last on the bike. I mean, my parents have these videos where they're just like trying not to laugh at me. Like they're cheering for me, but they're like, Oh my God, I feel so bad for her. Like I'm just not set up. And I also think that's a really important thing to know. Like you do not need to have the fanciest equipment to start. Like it's really important to just like work with what you have and, and just start and begin. Um, but I kind of did like one every summer through college and I increased my distances. And then after I got my first real girl job and could afford a bike, that was when I was like, okay, I want to go all in on this. Like I first like wanted to go through for my pro card like right after graduating college, I actually ended up getting really injured again. And that experience also helped me understand kind of, uh, a reestablish like, okay, what do I really want to get here out of sport? But, um, I didn't end up really getting full on until I think where my potential until like the past couple of years, like it was a really slow, it was a really slow progress. It wasn't like, I just like hit the ground running out of college. It took six more years after that. And did you have like mentors in the sport or have you been figuring it out kind of winging it? Oh my gosh. These years. Oh my gosh. No, no. Okay. So starting even in high school and in college, people saw potential in me. Like that was all it was. Like it was like coaches that I had people. I was like a parents of the kids I coached really in summer league. They would see me like running, um, and a little bit of my off season from swimming. And they'd be like, you're a really good runner. Like, have you ever thought of doing a triathlon? And I was like, mm, like, I don't know. I don't want to get injured. Like I'm focused on swimming and they'd be like, borrow my bicycle. Like they, after like 
you know, they would like lend me things like my second triathlon. I had never like even learned how to clip in. I was in cages still. Like I, I was, just, I would just borrow someone's bike for the race and, and do it. And it was constantly like mentors in my life, just parents of friends or like friends, parents, people in my community that like saw potential and like took me under their wing and like taught me everything that I know. I, I never, I've actually still don't have a formal triathlon coach. Like everything I've done has been like the people in my community, my friends and fast forward five years to now living in Harrisonburg. Like one of my favorite things about living here like a lot of my friends are really incredible athletes. So some of them are professional, some of them just enjoy it for the heck of it and love of the sport. But like, I'm constantly learning from them still. Um, like I don't even clip in on my mountain bike yet. I, I, I still have a long way to go for learning and, and like every day I'm learning from them. And, and how it did seems the, like, Oh, well, I was, I, how <laughs> did Xterra come along? Like, how did, like, I know you go from like uh-huh. neighborhood on cages. That's, that's a big difference than Xterra. Yeah. So, um, Oh my gosh, this is really good. So let me just tell you how I got into mountain biking. Cause it was like, not what I ever saw myself doing. It was my second date with my now fiance. And so our first date, we met at a, a bar race, like a, a brewery race where you go head to head on like, everyone's just like drunk. It's a blast. You, you go head to head and you do a 200 meter race and it's tournament style. So you make your way up the rankings. And he saw me at this race and I ended up like winning it. Um, don't know how, like I don't train on a trainer and I, I got it. And he was like, okay, I need I want to talk to her. So we meet and I was like, let's go on a bike ride then not realizing he only had a single speed, like little commuter bike. And I was on my tri bike at the time. So, um, he was kind of like, all right, she thinks I'm horrible at this. I got to show her. I got to show her, you know? And he's like, let's go on a mountain bike ride. And I was like, I don't have a mountain bike. So we borrowed my neighbor's like 1970s hardtail. And it, just the fact that I survived that second date is like, was enough to say like, okay, I think our relationship is going to be okay. And I was also sold on that experience because it was the first time in so long, especially since swimming and like starting triathlon that I felt like a beginner again. Like I, I was learning something for the first time and it was exhilarating. I liked, I liked absolutely being horrible at it because like every single day that I did it again, I got better. And I was just addicted to that, like addicted to like seeing the progress that I was making. And I felt like a kid, I was having so much fun with that process. And so during the pandemic, my friends in my communities were so generous. Let me borrow their mountain bikes. And I happened to be, um, my partner was doing the Colorado trail two summers ago. And we went out to Colorado for a few weeks and I saw that there was an Xterra race and I'd never done one. And my friend worked for specialized and I was like, can I borrow a bike for this race? And he let me borrow it. And like, that was my start of it. I won the race and, uh, was like, this is fun. I, I need to do this again. And like, I totally caught the bug and it was so different I like, I don't know how many of your listeners do off-road races, but it's very different than road racing triathlon. It just feels like a different sort of community. Like every girl that I was riding with was like, yes, queen, like get that downhill. Like they're rooting for me. Like we're screaming, like there's yelling, there's excitement in it. And it just felt like this camaraderie and this relaxed nature that I was really needing to almost rekindle my love for competition. Again, I was like, not really feeling intense, intense sports as much. And this, that scene is, is very, even though it seems really intense, it's really casual. Like it's, it's fun. It's like really relaxed energy. And so even though you have called your progression, like slow, it also could be like pretty fast because in the past five years, yeah. right? Like you now this past October race in the Xterra world championships placed 24th in the world, like 
it's pretty darn good for, you know, someone who just borrowed a bike a couple of years ago and jumped into their first Xterra. So even first, I guess, what was your reaction to racing in the world's championships? Oh, I, well, every time I show up to a start line, I think this is like stemming from my injuries and not really sure if I'd ever compete again. Like I get very emotional, not in like, uh, you know, I do get, everyone gets nervous, but like, I, I get such an overwhelming sense of gratitude that like, I usually cry a little bit. Like, I'm just like, so happy to be there. And that tends to be the energy that fuels my race. Like that tends to be like the headspace that I'm in of like, okay, I just am so lucky to be able to be in this setting. Like, I can't believe I get the opportunity to be here. Like, even when I went to the world championships, um, not this year in Italy, but the one in Hawaii, like that was made possible because like the startup that I work for, uh, helped me pay for my flight and like for us to go because I went to go visit algae farms when I was down there. Like I would have never been able to even afford that race, let alone bring my partner with me. He came because he was like the videographer for the trip, which actually was our way for me to propose to him in Hawaii. And like my whole company knew it, but like, they just kind of helped me support him getting down there. And, um, it was like, it was so much more than that race. Right. So like going to these races with perspective of like balancing my work while I'm there or my friendships and my relationship, like proposing to my partner, like all these other things are on my mind besides just racing, you know, and almost like that perspective takes like the pressure away. Like there wasn't this like pressure on, no one knew who I was. Like no one cared how I did. Like it was just me and like getting the opportunity to be here. So I was just incredibly grateful. And that first year I went was actually a run bike run because there was a monsoon in Hawaii and like there were 30 foot swells in the ocean. So like the, up until the day of the race, I had no idea what was going to happen. And so like, that was my first world for you, like complete uncertainty, not sure what was going to happen. A rented mountain bike. Again, I didn't have a mountain bike. So I borrowed one. I'm just like, it, it was really muddy and really hard. I'm hiking my bike for most of it, but I was like, you know what? Like this is my first try. Like there, I can get so much better here. Obviously I was still really proud of how I did. You know, I won my age group and like, I got 24th and it was great, but I was like, Ooh, like what else? Right. Like I have, I'm completely driven by curiosity. So now like after that first world going into this year or the past year, I was just like, what is possible? Like, there's just like so much that I don't even know about myself yet. So that's kind of like, I'm still in that headspace. And then, so I have to ask because it is a hot topic in triathlon gossip right now. Right. So like moving the world championships to a yeah. new location. So historically it has been in Maui for Xterra mm-hmm. world championships mm-hmm. and it was moved to Italy this year. Mm-hmm. So tell us about like that vibe, you know, did you get a feel, did it feel different? Was everyone just still as amped up as normal for oh. world championships? And it was awesome. Absolutely. I-, I think it was a really smart choice after uh, from the perspective. I mean, there was a lot of considerations with them moving it to Italy, but ultimately like it's very resource intensive on Hawaii. And like my partner and I actually car camped while we were down there and really experienced that for ourselves, kind of experienced like the effect of tourism on the area. And I was really excited for it to be in a new location to see like, okay, like I think this is a healthier decision um, and, and the right decision to move it. Um, funny enough, it was also extreme weather again. It snowed the night before the race. Like again, the swim almost got canceled because it was so cold. But like, I was like saying, who pays Xterra for this? Like, how do you get these crazy conditions? Like what, who did you get to, to deliver this snow in October in Italy in the Dolomites? And, uh, but that's like exactly what makes it so awesome. And 
I actually, I'd love to dive into that a little, that race, um, because it was so intense in a different way. So this was my first, um, professional debut was at nationals in Colorado. That was also an amazing trip. I went out there and I visited my best friend. We backpacked for part of that week. And then I went and raced. I kind of considered it like my, like acclimating time to be up at like 13,000 feet backpacking with my best friend and our dog. And, uh, then going to world was my first time at worlds on the pro, like on the pro level. And so again, like going in with an open mind, I don't really know what to expect here. I think, I feel like I deserve this. I, when I see myself with all these other women, I'm like, we're no different. Like I totally, I love being and competing at them. I kind of felt like I was, of course, like we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome, but like really being there at the start line with them, it felt like, yeah, like it feels good to be a part of this. This feels really right. And I was ready to roll. I actually, this was the first race ever. I had a bike with me. So I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm on the bike that I know. And I've been training on, like, I just got it. Like, this is going to be so much faster. I was so excited. I felt great. And, um, you know, again, the conditions were kind of crazy. It had been snowing and been raining all week, but like, whatever, that's what make Xterra races so exciting. It's like, you have to work with the conditions that you're given. Like you don't just get a perfectly flat paved road. Like that's the fun of it. It's also the mental agility. It is like the pivoting during the race It's fixing your mechanicals. And I definitely got a lot of practice with that because at worlds this year, I had a great swim. I was third out of the water. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm up here. Like it was a very strategic first, like swim leg of the race. And, um, I got on the bike and I was like, cool. Like I'm up here with these women. Like, I can't wait to kind of hold on their wheel. Like I'm going to fall behind them. I'm going to stay here. And, oh gosh, I just kept getting mechanical after mechanical. Like there, the mud was so thick. I had to carry this like massive stick around with me that fit just right between my tires. So I could like chip away at the mud and like put my chain back on. And I did that probably like a dozen times throughout the race. And, um, you know, it's not really the race you imagine you're going to have, but it's just like the one that you're given and you're like, okay, everyone also is having this race. What do I like? How do I make the best of it? Like, I just hope that my bike can hang on and I can finish like the, the, like the ride so I can get onto the run. Um, but like people were just like dropping like flies, like they're kind of like, Hey, my bike isn't fit for this. Like you see people dropping out, getting pissed about it. And like, for me, it's like, okay, like how do I level up in this situation? Like, I know I can like fix my bike. I've practiced this before. I know I can, I've, I've, you know, trained through the mud. I know I can do this. And, um, yeah, it wasn't like, it wasn't the race I was expecting to have, but it was the race I was given. And I got to showcase my ability to be mentally agile and like find a way to get through the ride and like get on the run and like put my legs to the test. And it was a really cool first race opportunity. The energy was still so exciting, which like was your initial question. Like, what was it like being in Italy? It was amazing. Again, like we're kind of like, we're really the visitors there. I mean, we were the visitors in Hawaii there, but I'm not speaking the native language. Um, both my parents came with me. It was the first time they see me race since college too. So that was really special to share that with them. And um, I have a lot of friends now too. So like being able to like spend the rest of the week riding and running with them was really fun. And yeah, the energy was fantastic. Um, they, like Sarah does these insane like pre, pre-race dinner parties and like, hmm. I felt like I was like dining, like a queen, like they had like wine everywhere. Like, this is like the day before the race. Like we're like, there's bottles of wine. There's charcuterie boards. There are like courses of meals. There's opera singers. I mean, it was like, Oh, this is a different, this is different. This is a different level, but like they, they meet the culture where they are. 
and that's what I love about the races too. Like Sarah is really mindful of that. I should know this, but will, will the world world championship be in Italy again next year or is it going to move around? Okay. Yeah. I think they have three years, uh, set there if I'm correct. Okay. Is it your plan to go back? I want to. Yeah. Yeah. I want to. Yeah. So last time I went, my parents were there and that was, that was just special. That was, I felt like a kid again. Like I could point, pick out my parents cheering me on, you know, when they're taking pictures of me at the start line, they're so proud. They put them on their Facebook, you know, it's like no different than a summer league swim meet as like a little kid. I kind of like, I, I felt like I was there. Also, there's a really cool downhill mountain bike park right at where the race is. And so next year I'm like, I'm staying later and I'm going to ride these trails without having to climb them. So yeah, I'm like, I told my partner, I was like taking pictures the whole time. I'm like, all right, like we're coming back here and we're like having fun after the race and riding. And I went down them when, after the race this year, but it was by myself and it's not that much fun when you're doing it by yourself. So yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I want to be back there. <laughs> And we know that, uh, you are not someone who does just one thing. And so in addition to triathlon, we, you're also an ultra runner. So we do get a lot of questions about balancing different, different things, especially different athletic endeavors. Mm-hmm. And recently Heather Jackson's made a lot of news when she went straight from Kona to a gravel race yeah. to a hundred miler. So it sounds like you're doing something similar. How, how do you handle that? Oh, so like, I, I realize there is power in having range. And I know Alyssa can definitely speak to this too. Like, I, I see like the range Alyssa has, like she does, you do ultra running too. You do adventure races, you do road triathlons. It's like, I, there's a lot of carryover and I learned through my years of training and only doing one sport for so long swimming that I actually really benefit from modulating my training and shifting with the seasons. And so I love running in the winter. That's my time to like ramp up my mileage. This is what I did last year. We had worlds in December and then I went right into preparing for my first 50 miler in Greece and Highlands and, um, really ramped up my mileage for the first time for that. And this past year, Xterra really started honing in on short track races. And it's like this 40 minutes, like power hour of like, like all out quick swim, short bike, like right to the run. And it, it is like pure adrenaline. And I was really hoping I was going to place enough to make it for that. And I didn't, and I loved cheering this year, but after that, I was like, I need to do short track next year. Like I've, I'm going to feed off of that. Like the crowd gets into it. Like there's jumps. Like I was like, I'm not taking any beelines next year. Like I got to get up like my technical skills with biking. And, um, so here I am. I want to do like, one of the things I really want to do, Alyssa, I, I want to do the ring. Um, if you're familiar with the ring, like the mass mountain ring, it's like a 70 ish mile, uh, mountain trail run, uh, here in Virginia, Haley. And I also want to do short track. And so I'm like, how do I balance that? I'm not entirely sure. I, I seem to have nailed it this year. Um, I do do gravel races. I did, uh, like a five hour long mountain bike race. I actually signed up for the Shenandoah 100 mile mountain bike race this year, which got canceled. So I was going to do the Shenandoah 100 mountain bike race. And then two weeks later, I was going to do Xterra worlds. And like, I trusted myself to be able to do it. Like I ride like long rides with my friends on the weekends. And I think maybe it's seeing all my friends do things like this, where I'm like, oh yeah, you do that. Like I'm capable of doing that too. Um, I think it's just like the self-trust that, hmm, okay. Like I put in the training, like I've done some like intervals, I can pull like some speed out there. I can taper a little bit. I'll feel good. And also like by not doing too much of the same thing all year, I get really excited for those other sports and to dive into that part of it too. So a lot of it fuels me. Like 
like shifting and like looking forward to the next, like, like maybe in a couple months doing a different style of racing, it like really keeps the flame burning. And I think that's like how you sustain these movement practices for so long is like keeping it fun, switching things up, like continually trying new things and like working on your weak areas too. Like mountain biking is my weakest area, but I love doing mountain bike races. So I've got to get better at that, like through doing more races. Right. And not only do you kind of dabble in a lot of different things in sport, right. But that seems to be the theme for life too. Um, we like to ask people about their day jobs. So then I was looking into this and I was like, man, where, like, which day job do I ask her about? Because she has seven of these listed on her website. Right. So then I went down a rabbit hole, like investigating them all. So, you know, you don't have to tell us about each of the seven, but you know, where's the bulk of your energy going these days for a quote day job. Right. And have you always kind of had like your hands in this many projects? Oh yeah. Okay. So I grew up with ADHD my whole life and I feel like this definitely contributes to my ability to be able to shift between a lot of different work and it, I do it because it's just naturally how my brain works. I focus on doing innovation for the algae startup that I'm at and I'm working on my computer and I'm sitting at the desk, I'm doing calls and I'm creating projects. And like, that's a part of my brain. And then I have the writing part of my brain that is like more creative output. And then I have like a break and I need to go exercise and like get out on my bike for a couple hours. And then I help like do stuff in my community. And then I have a consulting project and I'm not doing all of these things at the same time. Like I very intentionally split it up or I have certain days for it or certain parts of the day. Um, but I have always been the type to do a lot of different things. And I used to think it was just like, you got to stay busy sort of thing. And, and as I've gotten older, I really, it's, it's not that it's that this like kind of like how I was talking about in the sports, how, like when I spend some time on the bike, it gets me really excited, but then I look forward to trail running. And, um, I like to spend time in the water as well. They, they really self-support each other. And so like, I'm using different parts of my brain for each of them and they each satisfy like a different part of me. Um, I like just like quiet creative time and I get to do stuff in my book. And like, I kind of talk about like a lot of my book is processing the way all this connects to, cause people are like, wait, what is the connection between like food business consulting, like working for an algae company, writing, be a professional athlete. Like it is all connected because this is the way that I see the world. I see the way that like our food system connects to how we eat and how we live. And then that ways that we perform in sport and like it all works together. And maybe that's, that is what makes my brain unique is I see the way these things do connect. Um, so what takes up most of my time these days right now, it's been my book. Um, <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time writing the past couple of years and now it's like shipping and handling. <laughs> now it's like calling Amazon. Now it's like the business side of it, which I also love. Like, like I cherish taking like a few hours of my day to like personally write notes in everyone's books. Like I, I genuinely love that. Um, so this is where I'm putting a lot of my energy these days is like that creative project. Cause I think I am, when I wrote the book, I, my book, I had no idea what I necessarily wanted out of it. I just wrote to do it. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm like having all these ideas. And I'm just trying to think like, what else could come out of this? So that's definitely like where my emotional and like mental energy is going these days. And you mentioned ADHD. I am curious yeah. how, how does that impact your life as an athlete? Oh yeah. Okay. I I've been re- reflecting on this a lot the past couple of years. Um, being an athlete has always been easy because like in the sense of 
showing up. It doesn't take much effort. I just like get to like put pure force into it, right? Like I show up, I have a, a workout, like I get to just like put my head down and get it done or go out on my bike ride and recenter myself and better connect and have more focused energy to put towards my, my projects. And like it, like being an athlete supports my brain in so many ways. And it's so healthy for me as a kid. Like that's how I found like sport was the one place I really flourished. Um, the classroom was not a great place for me, like sitting still, like was not what I was meant to do. But like when I was in sport, all those things that I got in trouble for in school, like talking too much or like be having too much energy, like those are qualities that you like that are, you know, loved and, and, you know, needed in sport. And so they, they support each other for sure. But I've been thinking about that's what makes triathlon so awesome for me because I get to switch between all the different types of training for it between the different sports, what it requires, the physical therapy, or like the prehab, the mental side, like how I nourish myself. Like there's all these different things that you're kind of having to juggle and like put on your plate and, and figure out like what kind of workouts you do all the time. And it, like my brain loves that. It loves switching and like doing a bike ride in the morning and a run in the evening. Cause it's doing something different all the time. Um, but for making, like for me as a person, sport is essential. Like it's really needed for me to channel my energy and like have more clarity in my thought. Most of my book was written on the trails. Like most of my ideas come there. Um, most of like my ability to like be my best self and reconnect with myself happens in movement and in nature. And, uh, it's, it's like, it's not just, I don't just love it for the competition. Like I really love the day-to-day -day process of like getting outside and moving my body. Cause I don't feel like myself if I don't do it. I think a lot of us can kind of relate to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Amanda, we have talked about your book a little bit touchingly here and there, but now we want to like dive in okay. for sure. Okay. So, uh, you just released your first book yeah. and it's called the non-recipe book. And the tagline is designing for whole self-nourishment using your unique ingredients. Um, I would call this book like part self-help, part sports science, part cookbook, all wrapped into one, mm -hmm. you know? And so can you tell us, you've ta talked a little bit about kind of writing it, like while yeah. you've been out on trails and stuff like that, but tell us a little bit more about the backstory for how it came to be. Yeah. So I feel like I often preface that this book was definitely my entire, like was being made throughout my entire life. And like, even starting back in elementary school, people would be like, what is that that in your lunch? Like, what is that? And like, how do you make that? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. Like, like my, from a very young age, my parents also like made me pack my own lunch starting in first grade. I have three younger brothers. I, both my parents worked. They definitely believed like you need to take care of yourself. And so part of this was like, I had no other option, but part of it, I really did always love cooking and like being in the kitchen, kitchen and preparing foods. But like my entire life, people had always like wondered what I made. And I would kind of like go on this long tangent, like, well, I just like found this in the pantry. And then I added the rice and I cooked up this, like, you know, rotting vegetable. And then, okay. Basically I just like took whatever I made and threw it into a pan and didn't really have an answer for anyone. And finally I was like, you know what? I should really start writing down my recipes and I should track it. Like, I'm just curious for my own self. So I like have my own book to go through and like be able to make things without thinking much throughout the week. And it took me like two evenings of like committing to this process. Like I had this whiteboard and I would write down my process for going through and finding ingredients in the kitchen and creating my meals. 
And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really the last person that should be writing a cookbook. I have like never followed a recipe my entire life in the kitchen. Like I realized this was like a very disorganized process. And then I realized, wow, I've never really followed much of a recipe for like anything, like not how I live, not how I think, not my training plans. Like it's very been like kind of anti that. And so that's where it really began was like starting in the kitchen being like, well, what is my process then? Like, how do I, how do I go about making the kitchen? Like, there's gotta be some sort of system here, but I really didn't know. Like I wouldn't writing this book. I was like, okay, I want to share my process, but I'm not really sure what it is. And very soon it revealed to me, huh, this is like more of a reflection of like how your brain works. But like, I feel like people could connect to this. I feel like a lot of people can relate to like, they, there's a lot of people that think like you, right? And I wanted to draw these connections to like how I see the world and how I move through it and also how I eat and how I live my life. And there's gotta be a way that it all relates. And I kind of bit off more than I could, than I could chew with that because like, it began this emotional journey of like really understanding who I am, like enable to, in order to write this book, I had to understand myself and make sense of myself to like share my process in the kitchen. And so like, that was the sports psychology coming into it. That was the, the self-compassion part and mental toughness parts that I've weighed that I know that really spoke to you, Alyssa. Like that's also like my food system work. That's like my youth background and like looking at our diet industry and how that influenced so many of our eating behaviors growing up and the ways that we look at our body. There's so many parts of it that contribute to our food. And I felt like you can't just, I felt like I was doing it a service if I just like wrote a book about food because there's food's very nuanced. It's incredibly complex. Like we can't talk about food without looking at the ways that, um, food and diets are marketed to us. We can't do it without looking at food justice. We can't do that without looking at agriculture. Like there are so many parts of it. And so this book captured a lot of that, but like the, really the big thing I want people to take away from it is like, I want them to step into the kitchen and know exactly what they need for their bodies. And just like, I had to figure that out for myself. So the first part of the book is that nonfiction part of like, okay, these are all the way that these are all the different parts that contribute to the philosophy of like the non-recipe cooking. And then the second part is like, let's put it to the test. Like, let's go, like, let's put these, like, let's try these non-recipes. Let's get our hands dirty. Like the only way to do something is to start and to improve and to like be a beginner at first and try it out and fail and screw it up and it not taste good. But like, I invite that, like I invite that process. Like it is so process oriented and not focused on the outcome, which is why it's all drawing based. Like the illustrations were such a huge part to me because I want it to feel playful and experimental and fun and not like, here's a picture of what your recipe and your food needs to look like at the end. Cause like what it needs to look like needs to be for that person. So interesting. And I think, you know, you've kind of touched on this, but your book doesn't, it does not give like every direction for the recipe. Mm -hmm. And, um, as someone who is not necessarily like, I think I grew up with parents who made me make my own lunch as well. And I think it would be like (laughs) gushers. So I was not, I was not making anything. Yes. No one was, no one was asking me for my recipes. Um, if someone was just like, just getting your book, is there a recipe in there uh, uh, that you might suggest they start with if they're not so culinarily inclined? Okay. The first one that comes to mind for me, because I intentionally like every non-recipe I put in there, I really picked the ones that are foundational. I picked the ones that I think you can easily swap ingredients. Uh, Many of them are plant-based, but I do that because I like how that restriction 
beside like the environmental standpoint, like I invite people who eat meat to eat meat and put it in their book. Like you need to do what works for you. But I like that constraint for the creativity purpose. And, um, all of these non-recipes are made to be adapted and easily tweaked. The one that comes to mind, however, is the baked oatmeal, because that one is such an easy one to not mess up. Like, I really think it's important for someone to just getting started to, to get their feet dirty in ones that like they can meet their skill level, like where the non-recipe is. And that one is like a very easy formula, but has boundless opportunities with the seasons, with the ingredients that you have in your kitchen. And it also allows you to like put it in the oven and like go spend time with yourself and take time to do what you need to do in the morning, which is just as important. Uh, part of this, this process of making non-recipes is realizing like what we need. And I really think it's hard to know our true needs and, um, meet ourselves where we are when we don't like take the time to like slow a little bit and to like, either that's writing or doing like 15 minutes of like a yoga sequence or like, even just like pedaling our legs on the trainer. Like we all need to do what we need to do to kind of like set up our day and design our life in the way that works best for us. And that non-recipe invites you to kind of like pop it in the oven and take some time for yourself too. I've made a few of the recipes over the last like week <laughs> or so. And Matt will, I usually do like the meal planning and like start yeah, the cooking and Matt comes, that. you know, home from work and stuff. And he's like, are we making a non-recipe or a recipe tonight? <laughs> oh, I love his investment in this. He'll be like, how sure are you that you're doing this correctly? And that's I'm like, exactly the thing. 50%. We'll see. Yeah, cool. you know? That's a but, confident level. Yeah. But I mean, we've finished everything I've ever cooked out of it. So that's good. And it is a fun process. And the sure. buffalo cauliflower last week, how mm -hmm. that turned out? It turned out really good. Well, the cheese sauce recipe that you have, I do oh, have to say it's like mm. plant-based, like you make your own mm. cheese for macaroni yeah. and cheese. And it was, I was, again, I was like putting these things together, like, okay, here we go. But it's delicious. Really <laughs> good. I, um, for Thanksgiving this past weekend, I had two and I made that butternut cheese squash and I added some spice to it to turn it into a queso for mm -hmm. like a, a dipping sauce. And then it turned, it ended up becoming and taking this life form of just being like the base of everyone's Thanksgiving bowl and that they like put all their food into and just like made this mush with, which is like, I love when food does that. Like it takes on this whole different life beyond what you imagined. Right. And like, that's the thing with these non-recipes, like the, the mac and cheese, a cauliflower, like Buffalo mac and cheese is my favorite, like most comforting fall meal, because it is this nostalgic of like, I had this Rugrats mac and cheese as a kid that like my grandparents would always make for me when I visited and I never got mac and cheese as a kid. So like, this was so special. And when I make that mac and cheese from the book, I feel so just so satisfied. I, I feel very full. I feel satiated for a long time, but like, I love the process of making it too. And just like pouring the creamy, like butternut squash cheese all over the pasta. And I'm just really glad that you tried that one. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to play a game with you though, Amanda. Okay. So we're going to give you three things or a couple things that okay. we kind of, you know, make believe have in our fridge, have in our pantry, <laughs> have in our kitchen, whatever. And so you'll tell us like the direction you would go. And okay. some of these are based off of potentially what I have been looking at in my kitchen and trying to figure out what to do it. So, it. um, okay. So the first thing I found cauliflower leeks and carrots, and Ooh. I need to use all of them in a meal. What direction should I go? Okay. This is where 
I am right now. And I see you are too, with your hat on, like, it's obviously cold where we are (laughs) in the Northern hemisphere and we're getting into winter. Actually, it feels like full blown winter where I am. And I'm just, nothing helps me sink more into that, like settle down into the evenings with a cozy bowl of soup. Like that just makes winter for me. And what I see is a potential for, so you said carrots and leek were the last two ingredients, right? And the cauliflower mm-hmm. was the first. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking like a soup with like some lentils or chickpea, like maybe like something creamy with like coconut milk base. And mm-hmm. then I wonder if you could roast the cauliflower and like add that on top, like in really tiny pieces crusted with like nutritional yeast or a little bit of flour. And so it like adds a little bit of texture to your soup. That mm-hmm. I think I want to make that tonight myself. That's like, this is like where non-recipes become so much fun. Like it is a skill that we like, we develop and improve upon when we continue to do it. And like, I have to practice it too, right? Like I need to just see what's in my fridge and take it. And like, thank you for the exercise. Cause it like works my brain as well. <laughs> we had two others. I think the next okay. one, pasta, pasta and squash. It sounds like we already answered that one though. Right. The oh, yeah. Yeah. squash mac and cheese. That's like that... this one where my mind always goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I like this third one. Cause it's definitely not my pantry. Okay. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> what is your pantry? <laughs> it's like Pringles and, um, licorice, but you could definitely make something with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this one is quinoa, kale and peanut butter. Okay. My favorite thing to do with peanut butter is to make a peanut butter Thai sauce. I have it in the book. Okay. I think I'm going to turn right to it because I have to show this. I don't know if in case anyone is able to see this. Um, I have a whole page in the book that shows like the proportion of sauces and I have the peanut butter tie in here and you could easily like make that tie base. You could do a chili based sauce, but like adding peanut butter, even like crunchy peanut butter for like an extra bit of texture. And then I'm thinking like sauteed the kale a little bit, maybe like onion and garlic, add some quinoa in there. You can either like chop up some tempeh or chickpeas and put that in the bowl. Um, maybe some like dried craisins or raisins or something for like a sweet sweetness texture. And then like drizzle the peanut butter dressing on top. I love it. You definitely have like, can teach some fancy tricks to take <laughs> staples, right. Yeah. And make it be like, Oh, this is, this is going right. to be delicious. Right. Yeah, I can absolutely. put peanut butter on anything. Yeah. Um, oh, I a hundred percent. That is, I live by that rule. Yeah. That's a good motto. <laughs> Don't we by. all like any, yeah. I feel like any athlete lives by the rule. Like <laughs> there's no place. Peanut butter is not invited. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, before we wrap up iron women podcast listeners definitely know we can't let you go without asking about your training partner and pup Misty. So oh. can you tell us about her? Oh, so I adopted Misty the beginning of 2020, right in the pandemic. And I, <laughs> Misty's really the reason I got into trail running. Like Misty, she was adopted three times before us. So Misty had a lot of energy and was neglected. She like just kept having too much energy for these households. And she kept going back to the pound. And, um, when we found her, the first thing we did was so naive. We took her to the trails and just like, let her run free. She rolled in Turkey poop and we were like, okay, we need a, we might need a, like an electric collar just to like beep her and get her to come in line. But like, she stayed with us really. And like, I knew like that was her place and she came home tired. And like, in so many ways, like, I feel like 
Misty is like a part of me. Like I get it. Like when she's cooped up in the house, of course, she's going to have a lot of energy, but like, she needs to be out on the trails. Like she needs to be outside. And so like, she's really the like motivating factor for me to get outside for like long runs on the weekends. I know how happy it makes her and mountain bikes too. Like she's done 30 mile mountain bike rides. Alyssa, she did twat with me. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she that's did impressive. yeah. I actually did the first 10 miles of twat the first year on a leash with her and then realized that was a horrible idea. And the next year I have her off leash, but, um, Misty, yeah, she's a blue healer mix and she just has so much energy and like her favorite things to do are to run and bike with us. And she comes on like all of our trips and she really, I think also helped with my own self-talk too like in exercise. And like, this is me getting kind of like deep and meta about my dog, which you definitely didn't ask for, but like, you probably know this with like Ramona and Max, like when you're running with your dog, it's just the most precious thing ever. Like they're trying their absolute best. Like they just want to stick with you. Like they're out there just having a good time smelling things. And like, I was constantly being like, yes, girl, like good girl. Like you got this, like petting her good run. I realized like, man, these are all the things I needed to be telling myself. And so like, I'm saying these to her and I'm like, I feel like I'm absorbing this too. Like these things I'm telling to Misty are like, are my, are my own self thoughts as well. And, um, I think that influenced so much of like the way I think and move as well as like the conversations I have with my dog on the trail and like the positivity there and just like absorb, absorbing a lot of her excitement about it. I like feel that same enthusiasm. I was like, my dog just like bounced through like the high grass and like, like her tongue is like hanging out and she's just the cutest thing ever. And I'm like, that's me. Like I'm also having that experience. And yeah, <laughs> there's just something uncomparable to like having a dog join you as like your training partner. And she like, she pushes me. She's, she's an incredible athlete. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. The non-recipe book, it sounds like a excellent holiday gift or, or just gift to yourself. If you want to expand yes, your, your cooking during the holidays, where, what's the best way to get the book? How do we get the signed copies? <laughs> okay. So I go to my website, amandapressgraves.com and store slash store slash non, the non-recipe book. Um, you can also get it on Barnes and Noble books, a million bookshops.org. You can order on Amazon. It might take a month though. There's being, there's some shipping issues there. Um, but the best way and like the signed copy plus the magnet, plus the sticker, plus the card for me is the, on my website. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. We look forward to hearing about our listeners on recipes and yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for joining and good luck with Xterra. I'm excited to hear how that short course racing will go for you. Next me too. Season. I I hope I get the opportunity to do it. And thank you guys for having me. I too look forward to seeing other people's non-recipes. I love when people share the process with me and like share their like thoughts behind it and their reasoning. So like go deep on it, like share it with me. I love it. And thank you guys for just having me on here and like spending the afternoon together. I loved this. Thanks to Amanda for a great chat. I'm going to have to check out some of those non-recipes over the break. Uh, but speaking of breaks, Alyssa, we actually will be back next week. We are not taking a break yet. We'll take a break over the new year. Um, so we will have a great episode for you next week. Actually, should we tease who our guest is next week, Alyssa? Yes. Yes, of course. How I, what, I get the like, honors. Are we going to give a riddle? How, like, how are we going to tease it? <laughs> um, the ultra Her man, ultra woman, national or world champion. <laughs> Mimi Beesbauer. <laughs> That was a terrible rhyme. Um, yeah, yeah. Dee Dee Greasepower. I just spoiled it. She'll be with us next week. So definitely tune in, uh, get your, you know, last, last Iron Woman podcast of the year is going out with a, a bang. Trust us. It's a good one. So we'll talk to you all next week. Bye Haley. 
You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.